Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective, our Father's Day edition. It's Father's Day Eve for us. It is 48 hours after Father's Day for you if you're a Tuesday listener. And we will be talking about fathers and sons to some degree, fathers and children to some degree. But first, let me start with you, Andrew, because I'm very excited about this question. First I of all, what him. you and I are sharing a rant. What's it about? We are. We're going to talk about, obviously, people are getting vaccinated. Unfortunately, it seems like at that those numbers have kind of plateaued. But COVID is still a big story in both uh, the NBA and in football. So, Ed, you're going to kind of touch on Chris Paul's positive test and how that impacts kind of the integrity of the NBA playoffs going forward. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Bill's receiver, Cole Beasley, and his just kind of manic, frantic uh, obsession in opposition to getting vaccinated famously um <laughs> in a nike commercial many 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 years ago charles barkley said i am not a role model i don't understand why necessarily that means athletes have to be assholes but you know mm. and and zach i know you're gonna be talking about charles barkley in a minute but um andrew you're a movie fan and i believe that you did not nominate naked gun as one of your best sports movies i did not all right in that game, it's the Mariners versus the Angels. I'm going to give you a couple hints on this one because it's not tricky. The person who bats leadoff, the first player mentioned in Naked Gun, bats right-handed in the movie, but he's a left-handed hitter. He played for eight teams, none of them the Mariners. He won the World Series with the Yankees in 79 and helped the Dodgers defeat the Yankees in 1981 with a big pinch hit homer in game five. He was born in Manchester, Connecticut, and he actually did play-by-play for the Yankee radio in the 90s briefly. Who was the leadoff hitter for the Mariners against the Angels in Naked Gun, and is he dead or alive? Famous prankster. You said he was on the Yankees and he won a World Series. Yan- the Yankees, Yankees won the Yankees, won two World Series. Won, won one with the Yankees in uh, 79 and then helped the Dodgers beat the Yankees in 81 with a two run homer in game five, cutting the lead from 6 3 to 6 5. This is this might be the most specific question you've ever asked of. <laughs> yeah, there's like a lot of like, And like Naked Gun is like a weird kind of. Um, he bets righty in the movie. That's why I looked him up because I said, I know he's left handed. I watched Naked Gun the other night. It's like feel the mayor may or may not have um, okay. been marijuana like related. Yeah. Joe Jackson. TikTok to talk. Uh, <laughs> um, putting yourself outfielder. Outfielder played left Sorry. and right, not center. Usually, mostly a pinch hitter. Eight teams. Jay Johnstone. Ding 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 ding. Are you fucking that serious? That is ridiculous. Are you serious? That is that ridiculous. is correct. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Let's now, go now. Double or nothing, and it's our choice. Is he dead or alive? Dead. He died last year. Oh, <laughs> he ran the t- that's two weeks in a row. <laughs> two weeks in a row. Uh, I Even the, Andrew didn't think he got it right. He was just I, like, I got to come I, up with something. The, the Ken Jennings of dead or alive. I was, I was oh, very man. excited to find this because I, I was watching the movie, and he bats right hand. I said, he was lefty. He was so lefty. I looked it up, yeah. and he was lefty. He's such a big movie. And then I said, and they said, oh, he's dead too. We have, now we have a question. (laughs) Pull it up. Jay Johnstone is unbelievably Um, impressive. 
That is ridiculous. He's taking bows here. No, I, I, no, I, 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 he is. I he's am, gloating. He's gloating. That. I am humbled by what I have just seen. That was, that was, yeah, that was incredible. Because I can't make them harder than that. <laughs> oh. Like that movie's what thirty years old? You're a pinch hitter. That was more of like going through the late seventies Yankees depth charts. Yeah, who played for? The, uh, All right, I got lucky. I got lucky. <laughs> I ran into one. All right, so Zach, I mentioned Charles Barkley. You're going to be doing a little rant about him, aren't you? I am. I will be uh, talking about Charles Barkley and his reasons for, or his claimed reasons for leaving uh, inside the NBA. But before you get to your question for me, happy Father's Day to you. you. Thank you very much. And uh, happy Father's Day to all the mothers pulling double duty. Well put. Well put. So I have a question for you, Zach. Abe Simpson (laughs) had three children. Oh, my God. What were their names? Homer. Yes. Oh, my God, his brother. What the fuck is his brother's now, name? Now, the daughter may be post when we watch The yeah, Simpsons. His, and, and what was it, the, his brother was Herb. That is correct. What was his last name? Oh, fuck. He had a car company. Yep. Homer put him. Homer made him bankrupt by developing a, the newest Musk model. <laughs> oh, my God. Herb. It's not Herb Brooks. That's no. The, it is not. He shares a name with a Baltimore first baseman who has a barbecue place in Camden Yards. Yeah, I'm not Andrew. I'm, I'm, only, not thinking, I'm only thinking of one, Herb, but it's Herb Dean. Boog Powell? Yes, it's Herb Powell. Herb Powell. <laughs> Andrew gets it. <laughs> Orioles first baseman. Andrew's, I got that. I got the Orioles. By the way, who, who voiced Herb Powell? Herb Powell was voiced by Harvey Keitel, I believe, right? No. Who? You're thinking think much shorter. It's Danny DeVito. Oh my God! Was Harvey Keitel ever on The Simpsons? Did he ever do a voice? Yes, he. Uh, yeah, he did. I, I, I gotta I, find, I gotta seek that out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right. So, before we kick it to Andrew to talk about what we're doing today, I do want to remind people that next week is a review of an episode none of the thousands of our listeners have heard because we just did it of ourselves. The uh, five worst people in politics. Uh, so we're going to be reviewing to see how we did. Uh, we did this in January outdoors. It was sleeting, if memory serves. And, it was uh, cold. It was cold. Yeah, and I lost uh, the tips of two fingers, but that's okay. Thank you, Laura, for the year. <laughs> um, and then in two weeks, we will be doing our second live show at the Draft Choice in beautiful New London, Connecticut. Draft Choice is a wonderful bar, and uh, we will be doing our show there. Andrew... What's our main topic today? So you kind of alluded to it at the start uh, in kind of observance of Father's Day. We're going to talk about um, some father-son combinations in sports, some of our favorite, some of the most accomplished. Father-son dynamics as well, and in the political world, uh, the same. Kind of uh, anatomy of like a political dynasty and what um, and some of the pitfalls and mostly just not good things about political dynasties. But I think, Ed, at the end, you kind of have like a... Once you get, I, once you get west of... The Rockies, it's all good. You're here. Uh, And with that, we'll be back after this with the rants on the Bill Bradley Collective. Perched at the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Here are your hosts, Andrew, Zach, and Ed. So to kick us off this week, I'm going to be talking about a story that just came out a couple days ago from Inside the NBA 
and former NBA great Charles Barkley, uh, where he talked about how he is going to walk away from inside the NBA, which he's been doing for 15 years. Yeah, at least. At At least, least, yeah. uh, Walking away from inside the NBA, and he blamed cancel culture, which I know in the discussion of cancel culture, we were all just eagerly awaiting Charles Barkley's view on this and his input because he is, you know, the wise man on the hill. But he said he is going to leave because they just can't have fun anymore. They used to have fun and they used to make jokes, but now whenever they joke around, Turner Turner Network tells them, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. And he's talking about a joke where he calls the women of San Antonio big, which I'm sure was like a, a fine joke the first time he said it, but apparently this is a yearly thing that he says, so it's just a joke... You know, it's that you can call me Ray, you can call me Jay joke, <laughs> just like repeated all the time that it loses any amount of humor. And he said like, oh, well, you, you know, everybody's just trying to get everybody fired. Everybody's just trying to get everybody fired. Nobody's trying to get anybody fired. If you make a joke, if you make a bad joke, you get, if you make a joke that offends somebody, you can't be upset that somebody says it offended me. Like it doesn't, in, in saying you can't have fun like the fun he's talking about is him tackling Shaq I guess like that kind of weird shit that they would do it just struck me as this is another instance of an incredibly wealthy athlete or an incredibly wealthy personality being upset about being told no so their TNT pregame show has for the last eight years been like the last season of the office or of Seinfeld, where you look at it and say, oh, yeah, this used to be good, but now it's just kind of painful and awkward to watch. And by the way, of course he has to come up with a new joke. He hasn't come up with a new observation on anything in 15 years, 10 years, that his comments about he has the same comments all the time. Um, It's not funny to say that the women of San Antonio were big. You shouldn't have to be told not to say it. Not just because it's offensive, but because it's not funny. And by the way, do you own a mirror? Like that show features two ex-athletes who have decided that now that they don't have to be in shape, they're going to order Domino's twice a day, every day for no apparent reason. Yeah, Charles Barkley looks like he ate Glenn Davis and took on the big baby personality. <laughs> and, and and Shaq looks like he ate him <laughs> twice. Yeah. yeah. I think the irony is that if TNT executives were actually paying attention to the content of Inside the NBA for the last decade, Barkley would have gotten canceled slash fired like a long time ago because Ted's point, he's just, this is a guy, I don't, I don't think he's watching the games with a, with a critical eye. It's the same takes. It's all about, it's all about narrative. It's all about, it's never about X's and O's. It's all about just that same old bullshit of, of, uh, you know, clutch and not clutch. And those, you know, just things, (laughs) Yeah, it's always eighties basketball. It's lazy. Yeah, it's we got to get him down. You, you got to get him down in the post on the uh, post ups, even though that everyone knows now those plays are inefficient. Obsolete. Yeah. yeah, and they were inefficient when he did them. Yeah, sucks. So Andrew and I are going to do something um, different today. Is we're going to tag team on a rant. That's right. So I'm going to start with Chris Paul, and the mo- because Chris Paul is in the safety protocols which indicates to me at least that he is not vaccinated. Or at the very least, he did not do the things he was supposed to do. So he may not play tonight, uh, tomorrow, right? The game's, tomorrow night. The game's Sunday night. We're recording this on a Saturday. Um, you know, and someone, I was listening to some podcast, and they say, yeah, you know, every playoff Chris, Chris Qual has, you know, ends up running into bad luck. This isn't bad luck. These are decisions you made where you put 
your own desire to ignore science and ignore responsibility and put your team at risk. And if you never win a championship, that's on you. Because, I mean, that, that championship's there for, for the Suns to win right now. And it is, I, I mean, I just, at some point, you have to take responsibility for yourself and for your teammates. And we had a similar thing with the former Jets quarterback, Sam Darnold. But you were on talking about Cole Beasley. So Cole Beasley kind of stole the NFL uh, COVID headlines this week. Um, the NFL PA and NFL have agreed to, uh, at least for the preseason and training camp, uh, a series of COVID protocols that, frankly, for players that are vaccinated, are very relaxed. It's almost as if things are essentially back to normal if you're vaccinated. But there are still stringent uh, conditions for those that aren't vaccinated, including uh, daily testing and uh, traveling and kind of social restrictions. Cole Beasley, Bills wide receiver, has a big problem with this. He went off on the NFL PA. He, um, and he was very defiant in his opposition to getting vaccinated. So much so that some of these quotes, I just, I will be outside doing what I do. I'll be out in public. If you're scared of me, then steer clear or get vaccinated. I may die of COVID, but I'd rather die actually living. He continues, I'm not going to take meds for a leg that isn't broken. I'd rather take my chances with COVID and build up my immunity that way. I'll play for free this year to live life how I've lived it from day one. If I'm forced into retirement, so be it. All to avoid getting two shots in your arm. Like, what? What? where does this just, where does that angst come from? Well, I, I, I can't wrap my head around that. Like, what? if you don't want to get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. But that choice, like Chris Paul's actions, have consequences. And the consequences for Beasley are, yes, restrictions, getting tested daily. You made that choice. Strange, just bizarre to me. I, I think he's absolutely right that he has li- he's going to live life like he has from day one, a small piece of shit. Like, there's no chance he wasn't a colicky baby. You know, and, and, and to talk about, like... He is now. Yeah, right? <laughs> to talk about, like... I'm not gonna he. I'm not gonna take medicine for a broken leg, right? I'm not gonna take. First off, yeah. you don't take medicine for a broken leg. You get a cast, you dick. Yeah. And like, secondly, Surgery. this isn't a broken leg. It's a global pandemic that killed over half a million people. If there were half a million people dying from broken legs, I would do everything in my power to never break my leg. Yeah, it, it, it's it's obviously on its face an idiotic scientific argument. I mean. We take measles vaccines, we take polio vaccines, we take we, we get our teeth cleaned, although if you look at him, clearly he doesn't because he's missing teeth. Um, and, you know, it, and it's just like I, I try to be somewhat understanding with Chris Paul because it is true that African-Americans have had a history of being guinea pigs for vaccines. There is a reason why... They are somewhat suspicious. I don't think that really stands up to much scrutiny now. But you know what? Yeah, I, I, I'm I, outside of the things I know about and have experienced in terms of growing up. So I will be willing to accept that. It, it seems like six months in that the the data is in. Yeah, I mean, but but you know, I mean, I would hope that the NFL decides that if teams are can't play because of COVID outbreaks, that those teams have to forfeit the games and they have to, the owners have to pay the other team for lost ticket sales and reimburse the networks. Because you know what will happen? Then it'll be a requirement 
And then Cole Beasley can go and just say, oh, I'll just, re- I'll, I'll just retire because I don't want to do this. Because you know what I'll do? will get vaccinated. Because Cole Beasley's, the rest of Cole Beasley's life and the rest of Lenny, Dy- <clears throat> Lenny Dykstra's last 30 years, those are going to be parallel experiences. If- <laughs> Yes, famed uh, car, car wash entrepreneur. <laughs> I was going to say Cole Beasley car wash, car wash magnet. Yeah. I just like hearing strong men just go, no, I'm, I'm afraid of it. No, I'm not doing the vaccine. Yeah. It's like, what a whip. COVID is like a huge bear, and the vaccine's like a tiny bunny, and you're like, I'm fucking scared. Right. I'm not I'm not scared of the bear. There are that eight, bunny, keep it away. My father's 83. He didn't think about it twice. Right. You know, and, and, and while and this he's guy's in, a prime athlete. Right, well, he's a good shape for 83. I bet you Cole Beasley's in better shape. Yeah, he's got a better chance. Yeah, we, we should never again be subjected to a Wednesday afternoon game. No. That, that, that should be a thing of the past. Yes. Absolutely. If anything, just for our fantasy teams. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Try, try to decide who do I start their COVID <laughs> protocols. Well, well, and also... You couldn't figure out when the waiver wire was, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you had to have it like you had to do it like Wednesday afternoon at seven, so they or six, so that you could get it. It was a mess. Yeah, you interfered with my fantasy team, Cole Beasley. That is the core of everything. You yeah. interfere yeah. with fantasy, yeah. and we have problems. Personal attack. Um, so with that, we will be back after the break. Uh, in to commemorate uh, Father's Day, which is tomorrow for us, a couple of days ago when you listen to us. Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, father and son combinations in the worlds of sports and politics, and uh, we're going to have a little fun with it, all right? Our plain old knock-knock jokes just not funny anymore is the classic, why'd the chicken cross the road not getting laughs like it used to? If so, try puns. Yeah! Puns come in all types, such as, what do you call an alligator in a vest? An investigator. <laughs> or, if a friend starts telling bird jokes, remind him, Toucan, play at that game. <laughs> so try puns. Side effects may include groaning, your friends getting annoyed, wanting to make more puns, making puns in random conversation, forgetting other kinds of jokes existed, and people judging you. Ask your common sense before trying puns. If the situation does not call for them, it may result in many disgusted looks. If you're in need of a new kind of joke, try puns. They may be cheesy, but the results are Great. So welcome back. We are going to be talking about father-son teams in sports and politics, and we're going to start with sports. We were arguing about this off-air during the commercial, though we did listen with rapt attention because that's what we do. Zach, for you, what's the greatest father-son team in the history of sports? I think for me, when I was looking it up, I was torn between a few, but I went, at the end of the day, I settled with Bobby Bonds and Barry Bonds. Bobby Bonds going 300-300, is a one of the great feats in baseball. Like 300 stolen bases, 300 home runs. That's not something you see often. That's not something we've seen really since his son did it. Barry Bonds went 300 for 300, went 500 for 500, which is even more of an accomplishment. This is the pre-steroid era Barry Bonds when he was an actual, he looked like a human being instead of some sort of more mutant uh, with a head the size of a nine and a half hat. Um, he also has a uh, fun fact about Barry Bonds. He has a miniature schnauzer that just finished second in uh, the Westminster Dog Show Best in Breed. Uh-huh. Really? Yes, he did, and he was very excited. Wow. It was uh, the most I have ever liked Barry Bonds. I was a huge Bobby Bonds fan. Bobby Bonds was my favorite player. When I had APBA, the the, the game, I would only play teams, uh, which was APBA, 
exists now on computers, but it used to be a card game. And I would only play the seasons of teams that Bobby Bonds was on or I would trade for him. I loved Bobby Bonds. And then Barry Bonds is one of my favorite players. Both kind of obviously controversial people. And it's going to be, I think, something that follows in a lot of this. Bobby Bonds had a series of drug problems um, at a time when drug problems were all all the rage and it kind of ended his career. Barry... And I'm not gonna I'm gonna say all the steroid stuff because you know what when Barry did it wasn't it wasn't against the rules of the game. The the Major League Baseball the, the exploited ga- it for everything it was worth, let players kill themselves and did not give a shit because it was making their owners money. I, I'll I'll give him a pass. Barry Bonzo was legendarily a difficult person. Um and, and the relationship between Barry and Bobby always seemed to be Strange, tense. I tense. Was, like I like I don't remember Bobby being a big part of Barry's celebration when he broke the record. Bobby has a record, or did have a record until very recently. Um, doesn't still have it. Said it was the Giants for a while. He had it both in the American League and the National League. Most strikeouts in a single season. Yeah, one eighty nine. Straight out one hundred eighty nine times at a time when nobody did it. But he also walked a hundred times and stole forty bases and. He was a hell of a player. Everybody, yeah. everybody strikes out now, so it's like, yeah, you know, he haunted whatever. Bill James's dreams. Oh, Bob! No, but no, Bill James loved Bob. Loved those guys. But Bob, Bill James is the one that said, "There's no such thing as a useful out." That that that's nonsense. That when you put the ball in play and make an out, you are much more likely to it into a double play than do anything useful. So we should view strikeouts as a positive, not a negative statistic for a player, and. Taken to its logical conclusion, it ruined the game, which it did. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Bobby and Barry, both, you know, both uh, baseball players, outfielders. This combination, to me, they had a little, little extra credit because uh, one excelled in one sport, the other excelled in another. Really interesting. The Nortons. Ken Norton Sr. and Ken Norton Jr. Uh, Ken Norton Sr. was a heavyweight champion in the late 70s, fought the likes of Ali and Foreman and Larry Holmes. Just kind of a badass dude. Uh, there's a great Sports Illustrated cover that I found in the research of him getting ready for his like first defense of the title, and it's just him shirtless with a belt around his his waist, like in a field. And he's got his like hands on his hips, and he's just flexing and posing, and he just looks like he's like fucking cut out of stone. He looks like Superman. It's really just like it was. I don't know. It was a cool optic. For, it was like a 1978 SI cover. I don't know. Do you remember the was, movie he was in? Um, not off the top of my head. Was he in the movie with Hogan? He was in the movie Mandingo. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my Here God. I am fawning over. If we want to talk about movies that have not aged well, <laughs> oh, no. Mandingo. But <laughs> but Norton was, uh, especially for the time, there were no boxers that looked like that. Like, now they Jeez. all do, but there were no boxers that looked like that. He looks like a professional, like a... He, remember uh, wrestling side? He looks like Farouk, like Ron Simmons. Oh, yeah. He's got that, yep, yep. that fucking build. Um, and his son, Ken Norton Jr., who I think is still coaching in the NFL at some some level. He's a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, linebacker, UCLA, was a huge part of Super Bowl teams, early 90s Cowboys, 49ers, uh, perennial pro bowler. I don't think he's quite Hall of Fame level, but um, a damn good player who I think accrued like four rings or so in his career, um, made pro bowls. Just and it, oh, he always had like a cowboy hat on, Ken Norton Jr., yeah. which I always kind of... I mark for cowboy hats. I um, they're both <laughs> a tick below Hall of Fame level, but I do believe Ken Norton actually raised Ken Norton Jr. Like I think that they 
They, 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 like Norton used to be at games. Yeah. Unfortunately yeah. for Norton, the thing he's most remembered for is his last fight where it looked like Jerry Cooney just killed him. Like he got, it was bad, oh. bad. Um, that was his last fight. He had a weird style that bothered Ali a lot. Um, but, but I think, you know, in, in terms of well, one of the things I kept looking at as we did this is did the father have seemingly a positive influence on the son? And I think that's a case where he really did. Yeah. So I'm going to go to one where there were both great players, but the father clearly was not a good influence on anyone. And to the shame of the Chicago Blackhawks, they still trot this guy out like it's okay. Bobby Hull, the Golden Jet, scored 610 goals in the NHL and then another 303 in the WHA. Now, the WHA was not... It's not the equivalent of the ABA in terms of quality of play, I don't think. Although, uh, they did, start, it, it, they it's did it's absorb. Close. It's close. They absorbed, what, four teams? They, yeah. yeah, and they absorbed a lot of great players. But what yeah. They got, yeah, but what they got, they tend to get guys right at the end of their career as opposed to the beginning yeah. of their career, except for Minus Gretzky. Gretzky. Yeah. Because Gretzky was 17. He couldn't start any. Like, Gretzky was 17 when he played for Indianapolis. Were, weren't the Whalers at WHA? Yeah, originally? they were. Sure. Yeah, well, Bobby Hell played for the Whalers uh, briefly, and, and Gordy Howe played for the Whalers. Right. In fact, not. he played. At, he, at what age? No, didn't they have all three sons play on the same line? Gordy, Mark, and Marty. I think they all played on the same line once for the Whalers. Um, <laughs> I missed them. Yeah, uh, just yeah. Please, if I'm wrong, send in. Uh, you know, just send put something on our Facebook page, um, <laughs> or send it to us on our yeah, our Gmail account. And subscribe to our OnlyFans. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. And if right, if you yeah, that, that, and if you want if you want me to apologize naked, it's an OnlyFans <laughs> thing. Um, but his son Brett. Had 741 goals, uh, another 650 assists, although literally every assist he ever had hit the goalie first. Yeah, um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> yeah I was just about to say, I'm like, he never had an assist that wasn't a save. Yeah, no. I like, mean, everything was a rebound. Right, and, and as did his father, he curved his stick as much as it could conceivably be allowed because he had no interest in passing or playing any defense. But that's like that's the controversies for Brett, not the biggest controversy for Brett. The biggest controversy for Brett is he's in the fucking crease. Yeah, he's he's in the, the, I was about to say the big, no, 1998. Yeah, he's yeah. sitting in the crease he's, at 3 a.m. He's clearly in the crease at 3 a.m. I uh, <laughs> I woke up the house uh, screaming. He's in the crease. He's in the crease. I woke up everybody in my family, and that did not go well. But Bobby Hull said it in an interview. Hitler had some good ideas. He went a little too far. Um, he also said, if you want to call me a racist, I don't care. I'm not running for anything. I don't give a damn if people consider me, him a racist, me a racist. I'm not running for anything. His first wife uh, admitted that she took some real beatings in his hand. His second wife, he beat in a parking lot and was arrested because, now he's a celebrity, so he's not going to get arrested for beating his wife in a parking lot. Domestic dis uh, disturbance? No, he took a swing at a cop. And that's, there's no charges against the fact that his wife's a mess. He, there's a check, because he took a swing at a cop. I'm sure there were no follow-up questions of, why is the cop there? <laughs> no, nope, yeah, it was just, but Bobby Hull, Brett was always kind of a dick. He's, a, he's an asshole. But he's not his dad. Like, I mean, there's another case where the father and the son don't seem to have a great influence. I had a couple others 
problematic fathers, and I want to hear your opinions. LeVar Ball, clearly problematic, right? Am I wrong on this I, one? Is, I, is, he, is he Earl Williams? Uh, not Earl. Richard, William, Richard Williams? Oh. Or is he Marv Marinovich? He's, his public persona is obnoxious, for sure. Toxic to a degree. But at the end, at the end of the day, I think he's kind of harmless, and I think he just kind of just pumps the kids' tires and, and builds them up. And guess what? They're, they're pretty fucking good. Like, and, and they seem like pretty good dudes, too. Both ball brothers in the NBA. I mean, I don't know. He's obnoxious. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think being obnoxious and kind of... Yes, he gets into self-promotion a lot, which is kind of tasteless, but I, I don't think that makes him a bad father, it, necessarily. I think it's tough because it's one of those things of you see the way he acts and the way he like kind of caricatures himself, and you wonder, is he exploiting his kids? Is he supporting his kids? What is the role of a father of like elite athletes? Because like you said, like the ball, the ball brothers seem like they're, they're nice guys. Um, I mean, LeVar has never started a sentence with Hitler had good ideas, which yeah. I think is a plus. LaMelo, for a while, had a reputation of being impossible to work with, but he was also 16. Right. Yeah, he was a kid. Child, adult child, leagues. The, thing, the thing that LeVar's done, and it's the same thing Richard Williams did, is he said, the way you're doing things isn't in the best interest of my children. It's in the best interest of you. I'm going to do what's in the best interest of my children, and that sets people on edge. Now, because, I mean, I remember... Richard Williams was called all kinds of things. And I think you'd have a very difficult time now arguing that Richard Williams did not do a remarkable job raising strong young black women. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I mean, you never hear about the mother. I don't know if the mother was a mom. Aura scene, I believe her name is. She she was a presence. She'd always be in like their boxes. Okay. So I I just didn't. She wasn't wasn't like Richard. Like Richard was their teacher forever. Yeah. Right. So the reason I brought up Marv Marinovich is he's the one with Todd Marinovich who set up to craft. He said (laughs) his child was an opportunity to craft the perfect NFL player. And what the kid was, was throwing a football before he could walk Todd Todd. Um, but showed, he went to USC. He was the number one recruit in the country showed real, real striking, signs of trauma from the beginning. And he is now, uh, Marinovich has battled drug problems his whole life. Uh, Schle- uh, Arch Leister's father was the same way. On Marinovich, they did a 30 for 30 on Marinovich, and they called it the quarterback project. Yes. They, and they document what his father does. And his father literally, like, ties his right, at a very young age, ties his right arm behind his back and just ma- and essentially forces him to be left-handed. Like he engineers like the, like the, a left-handed, like the nuns, like nuns, yeah. Yeah, like, like nuns, literally. And Murnovich, and again, part of that story is like he got, he was f- fucked up. It fucked him up. Yeah, it, it, it's why in it's, life. It's why yeah. it's tough when you look at like, especially the the fathers of like elite athletes, the ones that really were very good. It's like that's abuse. Like like he abused his son for years to make him an NFL prospect. He treated his son essentially like a fucking passion project hobby basically where i like football i'm going to just engineer my son to be this like football machine that is that's as bad as it gets i think you know the um, other one that, that there was a lot of talk about is Deshaun watson's father who really took a very active role in crafting him into a quarterback and got a lot of credit for it you don't really hear much about that now because 
the purpose of raising a child is not to raise a professional athlete, is to raise a healthy human being. And often those are mutually exclusive. You know, I think it'd be hard to argue Michael Jordan is a healthy person. No, I I, I would. Yeah. I would. I mean, so Lord, Lord help his kids. But a sociopath. Right. Yeah. So the other father I had as being very problematic is Floyd Mayweather Sr. Mm. Yeah. Who was in and out of jail while Floyd grew up. Floyd, we could all agree, is an asshole. But my favorite Floyd Mayweather moment, and by favorite, I mean the most horrific, is Floyd fires him. Hires his uncle, Roger, to take over. Roger Mayweather, by the way, was a very good fighter. He just he couldn't take a punch. If he could take a punch, he would have been a multiple champion, but he couldn't take a punch. Fires his father his fa- before the Gotti fight. Gotti then hires him to be in the corner, and that, that fell through like in the last week. Remember De La Hoya? De La Hoya had Floyd Sr. in his corner, did he not? In that Mayweather De La Hoya. Maybe that's the one that we. I I know there were a couple where. where, Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Because Floyd Sr. trained De La Hoya forever. No, okay. I got to run. Floyd Sr. trained De La Hoya for years. And when De La Hoya and Mayweather made their deal to fight, I believe that's when Floyd Floyd Sr. was like, I can't train against my son. Right. I can't. So he. But Gotti then hired him and and then he quit Gotti. I love that. That's like Delonte West guarding LeBron James in the playoffs. And it's also, <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, um, you know, and he spent a lot of his life in prison for drugs. I don't think it's ever a good idea for fathers to, to train their sons. In it rarely it, ends well. It, um, in boxing, it seems to happen a lot, and it never seems to go well. No. Like the guy, the you guy, you end the, up having to fire the guys that have their dads in the corner always seem to have, like, a little something holding them back. Well, Howard Johnson Jr. was a famous one. Howard Davis Jr. was a famous one whose father trained him and used to say, don't get hit, Howie. Don't get hurt, Howie, at the end of before every round. He's like, oh, he's a good dad. Get him out of the corner. <laughs> the other two sports stars or three, the other different sports stars I was thinking of is obviously the Noahs. I mean, mm. the uh, 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 mm. yeah, Joaquin and, and uh, uh, Yannick. Yannick, Noah. Mm-hmm. The Mahomes. For sure. Although Pat Mahomes, uh, <laughs> um, Fangraph War has Pat Mahomes as the second least effective pitcher in Major League history. Are you real? Like, <laughs> minimum a certain number of innings, I imagine. But and, that's pretty right. And then Ted Irvine. And <laughs> Ted Irvine, who was a very good player. No, Ranger. Yeah. He was an okay player on the Rangers. Has a son, Chris. Do you know who Chris Irvine is? A uh, uh, professional wrestler and rock star. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho. There you go, yes. Yes, he uh, he actually brought his father out and in a Rangers jersey during a uh, professional wrestling event in the show. And I, <laughs> and I will also say that as as a dad, as a proud father, my favorite father, Del Curry. I love Del Curry and his, his wife so much. Um, they go to every game. They treat Seth and Steph completely the same. Like they're both excited. They're excited for both of them. Del Curry seems like a really good dude, and that was his reputation in the NBA forever. Yeah, great, like father, like son. Del Curry was like a lethal three-point shooter for like Charlotte in the '90s, and he does TV and for locally in Charlotte, and he's great at it. Yeah, and if Del Curry played today, he'd be a much better player. Yeah, his skill set is much more. Well, because if you scored up for 11 threes back then, they'd just sit you down. Right. (laughs) So now we're going to switch to political politics, and in politics, it seems to me that. Well, the one father-son and just father-son, like you don't see any further spread in the genes, Ron and Rand Paul. Oh. 
So I have a theory that in politics, everybody just keeps getting worse than the person in front of them. Um, would you say that's true in the Ron and Rand Paul? I mean, I I wish Ron Paul's neighbor had finished the job. Oh, um, <laughs> but he didn't. So here we are. I mean, there yeah, were, Rand Paul wasn't that Rand Paul? That was Rand. Sorry, Rand, I also, Rand, I'm yeah. sure Ron Paul's neighbors also hate him. Ron Paul was one of. The, I remember the the Ron Paul revolution. That was one of the first like big movements in the Republican Party that I that we've now seen kind of acquiesce itself into what it is now. Ron Paul had some legitimate stances. His stances against the drug war are and were correct. His stances against over government surveillance are and is correct. He also wrote an article that was incredibly racist and then fucking denied he ever wrote it. Rand Paul is very similar in the sense of his policies against droning. He he filibustered a bill that had to deal with uh, drone overseas drone fights, and he was right in that. I supported his filibuster. I support some of the things he stands for. But then he'll get up there and yell at Dr. Fauci and say, you're wrong, as if, I don't know what Ron Paul's a doctor, what Rand Paul's a doctor of. He's yeah, a he, dentist? Uh, Bullshit. No, no, uh, Ron's a surgeon. Isn't Ron's he? a surgeon. Ron's his, a surgeon. Son, his son's not a dentist, no. but his son's like, he might be a podiatrist. I yeah, like, it's one of those things. And just, I, I do not think Rand Paul is worse than Ron Paul. They are equal on the scale of evil. I disagree. I think Ron Paul is a complete, total, and utter libertarian. Yes, absolutely. And, and he's a Kentucky libertarian. Yes. Um, that he, that his son is much more a political animal. That his son's selling out to anything Trump did without any connection to an overall arching philosophy. I don't think Ron Paul ever did that. Ron Paul... The reason Ron Paul is occasionally great and occasionally horrifying is libertarianism is occasionally great and occasionally horrifying. That the same thing that says you shouldn't have a war on drugs then leads him to say, also, there shouldn't be an FDA. It's like, well, those things are not the same, but but it, if you look at them a certain way, they are. Here's something you I, probably I, don't know, Zach, that you're going to really like. Until this past election, until 2020, Ron Paul was the oldest person to ever receive an electoral vote. Because of a faithless elector, my man in Texas, I, I and those are two of your favorite things. I love faithless electors, so yeah, that is a very good fact. I find it interesting between like the like the 2012 and 2016 like Republican um, that that just sort of like that nomination cycle and like before Trump kind of hijacked it in 2016 and took over that. You know, uh, Rand was kind of in the mix as a contender, whatever. I remember he he'd go on like the fucking Daily Show. To be on the Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and they're up there drinking bourbon, and it's a very like kind of weird humanizing moment for Rand Paul to like to like younger voters, and like I remember the same thing with Ron Paul in 2012, where he was going on like Jimmy Kimmel and shit, and they were yucking it up and this and that, and they kind of had this weird brief where like I think young people, not all like I just think they they, they kind of attracted some like a younger audience for their kind of. The, the, some of the libertarian stuff is appealing to people of a certain age, and I, but they both are just like terrible all around. Those ones are brief. Yeah, they are both terrible, and but I don't think Rand Paul has ever and will ever create the type of momentum that Ron Paul did in that 2012, 2012, 2012 yeah. election with the Ron Paul revolution. 
And I think one of the reasons is Rand Paul is a conservative. Ron Paul is a libertarian. And there is something very appealing about being a libertarian if you never actually look at what being a libertarian is. It, it, mm. It's why young That's people like well it. Said. Because yeah. they see it and they say, this makes sense. I like it. And then it's like, wait a second. The, like if somebody's got arsenic in their in their beef that the market will correct that mm-hmm. i like one yeah. like, like, ultimately there's a place for government but mostly there's political dynasties andrew what's what would be your political dynasty and and what do we learn about father and children relationships it's kind of hard not to think of like the kennedys obviously the generation the brothers of uh jfk and bobby and ted and that generation and their father was more of like a businessman uh joe kennedy um, but he was also involved in politics. He served under uh, FDR. He was an ambassador to uh, the United Kingdom. Obviously, one of, he was like one of the most influential people in America in like the 40s and 50s. Um, and his son, John, JFK, uh, gets to the presidency by 1960 with, I'm sure, with a ton of help from his father, his father's whole machine behind him. Um, and obviously, there's another, you know, uh, Joe Kennedy now in well, R- RFK. In Mass, RFK. Of course, was uh, attorney general under attorney general JFK, under John McCain and would have been the president. presumptive 1968 yeah. Democratic nominee. Um, before he was, yeah, of course, assassinated. Um, that seems to me to be like the most hyper, and, and obviously, like you have Ted, who was this long tenured uh, senator in Massachusetts. Um, and again, Joe now, who now is he? Is he nope. still a, a rep in? No, uh, the, the, he ran for sorry. Joe Kennedy. Defer to you is is Joe or Pat is now an anti-vaxxer that goes around giving speeches? No, Joe's not the anti-vaxxer. Joe, Joe, it's, Pat, lost, it's, Pat, it's Pat Kennedy, right? Yeah, Joe lost to Markley. There are no. That's right. There he are no. Senate. There are no. He's in the House. I do not believe. No, he's not anymore. No, that's right. He's. he's I do not Kennedy. believe there are any current Kennedys in the House. I think it's for the first time in fifty. This might be the first time in fifty-six years that there's never been a Kennedy in oh, office. Yeah, seventy, probably seventy years. Because TK Ted Kennedy's son was a state senator in Connecticut for a couple of years. Right. I don't think there's any, any in there. I I, I think you bring up a good point about the political dynasty of Kennedy because the Kennedys, you know, to look back at like fathers that are complicated is Joe Kennedy, was a businessman, and was not always. And he clearly had some sketchy connections. For sure. Watch the Irishman, man. They get into and that like, shit. And like in the Kennedys, you know, he also sent his daughter away to be uh, lobotomized. Like he's clearly a not a great father in the way that like Irish Catholic fathers can be a little withholding sometimes. And <laughs> you were ex- you were ex- you were excommunicated. To from whom the are you speaking? You were ex- you were excommunicated. You don't Catholic. Yeah. And um. But the Kennedys especially are like, they're a very complicated legacy to look at in the in the sense of like the Democratic, they are such lions in the Democratic Party. They're like, you, you, I still hear people talk about, I'm a Kennedy Democrat. You still hear that phrase today said. My grandparents, my father's parents are Kennedy Democrats. I'm a Kennedy literally. Democrat. And what you realize is you're an 80s, 90s Republican. Kennedy Democrats are, are socially moderate. Uh, well, Ted, Ted Ted was great. Ted was great. Kennedy, Bobby got there. JFK kind of got there. Their father was a horrifying racist. Yes. So it's it's always complicated. As it's going along, they've all gotten mostly have gotten better. I mean, Joe Kennedy the third was a good rep. He had the wettest mouth. Yeah, I, but um, and they're 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 conservative on foreign policy. 
Yes, they're they're they have never met a country they wouldn't go to right. war for. Um, that's kind of what the Kennedy Dem- Democrat means, but again, that's based on two generations ago now. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't think you'll see any of our colleagues, any of our compatriots, you know, Andrew and I, saying I'm a Kennedy Democrat. Is the Kennedy dy- no, no? And I is the Kennedy dynasty effectively? I think it's over. over. It's over. Yeah. Well, jo- Joe Kennedy's not an untalented politician. He has a shot. Yeah, he can come. he'll be he'll, he'll he, always come. He'll run for Elizabeth Warren seat when it opens he, up. Did he give a rebuttal to one of Trump's um like state of the he, union? He addresses? did. He did, and he got roundly criticized yeah. because his mouth was glistening with how <laughs> wet it was because he was sweating because yeah. he was he delivered his speech in like a high school auto shop. But but he's a he's a big Medicare for all person. He's he, uh. No, that was why he oh, lost no, to Markley. Oh, right, he wasn't. That yeah, was he, why he lost to Markley. He's pretty right. liberal. He's fairly liberal. Actually, the problem is he tried to run from the left of Markley and wasn't there. Yeah. I was just going to ask that very question. Did he, yeah. he He tried to primary Markley from the center. And, and Markley is gotcha. good. Yes. I just, I, I the only reason I, I had any hope for Kennedy is it's just hard to remember that Markley and Markley are both senators. So who's your? <laughs> uh, I think mine is going to be, uh, you know, one person that had a very small amount of influence in my life and the other one who had probably the biggest influence on my political uh, beliefs now and my ideological formation, which is the Bushes. Um, George W. Bush was chair of the Republican Party. Was George H.W. Bush. George H. Sorry, George H.W. Bush was chair of the Republican Party, was head of the CIA. Um, he cannot account for his whereabouts on Kennedy's assassination, uh, which, of course... <laughs> He was in Dallas, Texas that day, but he doesn't know where he was in Dallas, Texas that day, which then feeds the conspiracy theories that he was involved in JFK's assassination, which I'm like 99% not convinced of. Are we going to get Oliver Stone on like next season to talk about JFK conspiracy um, theories? George H.W. Bush then during Watergate was chair of the Republican Party, called Nixon and asked him basically if he wanted to cover it up, yeah. which was found out by George H.W.'s uh, papers in... Uh, done in a great podcast, Slow Burn, by Rachel Maddow. It is great. And then he became president where he engaged in the Kuwait, or the first Iraq war, which was basically uh, the thing that George H.W. Bush or George W. Bush finished. Um, this is very complicated because they're both, I am the way I am, and I believe the things I believe because of George W. Bush, because of the things I saw during his presidency, because of the things he did during his presidency, torture, uh, standing on the floor of Congress and saying we need a constitutional amendment against gay marriage. I remember even at like 13 being like, we need a what against what? You know, he had one good moment after 9-11 when he stood on the uh, rubble of the Twin Towers and said, you know, and, and he was speaking, and the worker said, we can't hear you. And he said, America can hear you. And that was a great speech. That was a great moment, I think, in American politics. Uh, he then followed that up by giving the world's worst interview where he talked about hunting down bin Laden and then said, no, let me watch to hit this golf shot. Yeah. And it's very complicated with the Bushes because there's also Jeb Bush. And George W. Bush wouldn't exist without Jeb Bush being governor of Florida, who then ran in uh, my my personal, my favorite campaign ever run in politics uh, in the, his 2016, uh, where he had to beg an audience to clap. Um, the Bush dynasty, I think, if absent Trump, would still be the preeminent thought in the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, I mean Prescott Bush from Connecticut was 
a standard conservative. He's a Connecticut Republican. Yeah, he was Robert Taft. Like, really, yeah. he's like Robert Taft, and which is a fresh reference to everyone under the age of 70. Uh, but he's a, uh, you know, I mean, he's just, a, yeah, he's a Connecticut Republican. Um, Jeb is in that line. George W. was always viewed as the underachiever. He had a drinking problem. Coke habit. Coke habit. He, he hung around with the Rangers and became friends with Ro, uh, <laughs> Nolan Ryan. There was a sense that he wouldn't be a bad guy to just kind of know, but he had no business being president, and I think that that's what got him. But he's not the most horrifying Bush. I mean, he is because he's had the most power. But Jeb's kid. Joseph, oh, Joe Joseph. Joseph P. Bush, who has sold his family out the window uh, to support Donald Trump. Donald Trump said Jeb Bush is soft on immigration because that's the way he met his wife, who is Joseph P.'s mother. And Joseph P. picked Trump over his own mother, and nothing bad enough could happen to Joseph it, P. It, exactly. I, was I haven't talked to my mom in like three years. If somebody still insulted her, I probably wouldn't be a sycophant for them. <laughs> I'd probably be like, ah, okay, buddy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can say that. You can't I can say, say that. that. You got to chill out. Yeah, no, Joseph Bush is a disgrace. To backtrack for a second, um, you you laid out JHW his kind of his run in politics before he was even president, and of course he was Reagan's underboss the eight years before he became president. I mean, he does all of these horrifying things, but if you look at the resume and look at what he's done, it's a career. It's it's quite a career in terms of just offices he's held, and kind of at the heart of this conversation is like fathers and sons and what fathers can do for their sons and kind of furthering their progression up that ladder. Because, like you said, with W, I mean, again, he's just kind of like a Yale flunky, um, has drinking problem, make, accrues a bunch of money, owns the Rangers, becomes governor of Texas, and ends up in the White House. And there's no, like, life of, like, public service behind that. He just ends up in the White House largely probably on the merit of his last name. And there's no and, public there's no and history his, of public and his, and his brother helping. And, his, and, and there's no history of public service after that. No, like, none. Yeah, I mean, well, they him and uh, him and um uh Michelle, they they they, they exchange gum and he's a he's a hero now. He's a hero now. Welcome to the resistance. Welcome to the resistance. Well, well, because, well because because Trump <laughs> Trump set a bar he's, yeah. so horrifyingly low that it somehow got beneath George a war, w, criminal. A war criminal. But didn't get between his nephew yeah. So I was um I was torn between three. The dailies in Chicago. The two dailies were mayor for forty three years out of fifty one. And the Rockefellers, we had John D, who was incredibly rich, uh, and married to a, a son in law of a senator. And then Nelson, who became vice president. And there are still we still talk about Rockefeller Republicans, as we talk about Kennedy Democrats talk about Rockefeller Republicans that don't exist anymore. And Jay, Jay's, Jay's a Clinton Democrat. But I'm going to go with the Udalls. Oh. So Morris Udall's great-grandfather was the territorial governor of Arizona and a Mormon. Uh, his grandson included Morris Udall, who was a rep from Arizona, supported, was unbelievable on ecological rights conservation before it was popular on civil rights his history on labor rights is mixed he supported him but nobody in his district did so it was very hard for him and he voted against he voted for b 
being a right to work nation, a vote which he admitted to the, that he, he regretted. But then there were three. So the grandchildren, I mean, the next, not the next generation, but the generation after, featured three U dolls. They weren't all named U doll, but three U dolls at the exact same time in the Senate. 15% of the Senate were directly related to uh, David King Udall, and that is Gordon Smith uh, from Oregon, Tom Udall from New Mexico, Mark Udall from Colorado. So there are three senators who are related to Udall, none of them from Arizona. And now there are more Udalls. In addition to that, they have second cousins who are the Lees. So Mark Lee is related. Oh, my Mike God. And are you s- so, really? Yes. So what's interesting, and, and this is one of the things – that I the reason I, I like the Udalls is it doesn't seem like we talked about sports and we kind of saw okay assholes tended to produce assholes good guys tend to produce good guys like it just seemed like that's kind of what was happening but when you get to politics where name recognition and money is everything and not genetics like the Udalls are all over the place in terms of of their um, governing. You know, I mean, Morris Udall was my 76 when he ran for president. He was my favorite candidate starting out. Him and Scoop Jackson. I was a big Scoop Jackson fan. How could you not? <laughs> and, not the ESPN basketball writer from ESPN. No, right no. Henry Scoop Jackson. <laughs> there was, we had a fourth grade assignment. Well, 76. Yeah, this was 72. In 72, I was in third grade, fourth grade. I was 10. And we had to write about our heroes. And everyone in the class wrote about their father, except for me, who I wrote about Scoot Jackson. <laughs> the, the legacy of the ladies and their fathers lives on. <laughs> but, but, like, here you have Republicans, you have Democrats, you're all over the place. Um, there is a Udall involved in the recount uh, in, the, in, uh, Arizona. Audit, in yeah. Arizona. That They're all over the place. Um, and Morris Udall, who, who was a wonderful politician, it reminds me of the Cuomo's. Where the kids are hor- horrifying, and Mario was great. That that somehow you get kind of a lessening as you move along. I think we'd be remiss not to. I think we kind of had a bit of an oversight on this. Where and we touched. I mean, we talked briefly about like the Williams sisters and Richard, but like, what about father daughter uh, combinations across sports and politics? Anybody have any thoughts there? I uh, mean, I mean, well, the the one, know, the one, well, we talking about Richard, yeah, the one yeah, of course is the Cheneys, the Cheneys, yeah. Um, Dick and Liz, but before we touch on them real quickly, the thing I want to say about the Udalls and Pesky and politics and, and, and the wave is that it seems like the power that the father gets gives the son a level of entitlement that makes them worse. And it's mm. probably due to the connections. It's probably due to the power, being, being that close to power. But in terms of fathers and daughters, I mean, Dick Cheney, Liz Cheney, who Liz Cheney is now, you know, Welcome to the resistance. Vive la resistance. Liz, Liz Cheney sucks, but not as bad as her father. Yeah, exactly. She never shot anybody in the face. Yeah. Um, part of it is, I think, that we've talked about a whole lot. The children are necessarily establishment figures. Yes. And if you're a Republican, the establishment's gone off the cliff. And if you're a Democrat, the establishment isn't where any of us are. So to be a... You can't really be a child who doesn't who becomes anti-establishment 
And the way we showed that is the most establishment Republicans ever are the Bushes. Like, there's never been a family like that in terms of— Well, they've been—they ran the Republican Party for essentially 30 years. Well, Prescott was a big deal. I mean, you could go farther than that. Yeah, you could go farther than that, true. I mean, well, I mean, Watergate was 50 years ago. The Republican dinner is called the Prescott-Bush dinner in Connecticut. Right. And so so they're going to be establishment figures, and so they're never really going to be— what we want. What makes the Udalls interesting is they're all over the fucking place. Like that, that that they are, they are extreme Republicans. They're extreme liberals. They're they're all over the place. And all they have in common is that politics is a family business. That's what they have in common. It's like it's like us with labor. Labor is just a family business, right? So even though this is airing on Tuesday, this is our Father's Day episode. So what? Just in general, what do we? What have we learned or what have we thought about in terms of father-child relationships in this in these very public environments? I think we've learned two things. That in sports, the fathers are awful in a very different way than in politics. Where in sports, it's almost like this living vicariously through the next one. Or if you come from a sports family, a sports legacy trying to constantly live up to the shadow of your father and trying to live up to the greatness that they may have achieved or may not have achieved and trying to surpass that. And then in politics, you realize the father kind of dictates the lives of the futures of the children. That in politics, if you're a father in politics, one of your kids is going to be in politics and they are going to be successful in politics because they will just raise money off of all the money you raised. Yeah. In sports, for every sort of, uh, let's say, like a Calvin Hill, Grant Hill, there's a Jimmy Walker, Jalen Rose. Yeah. For every successful athlete to raise a successful son and to have a healthy relationship with that son, it's like there's the successful athlete that has a... And in the case of, of Jalen Rose, a non-existent relationship with your son. It's 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 funny how that fall. You know, a lot of I don't want to do this on like color lines, but you think of like we talked a little bit briefly about the disconnect between like Barry and Bobby, but you don't see that like the, with like the Boons. It seems like Bob and Aaron yeah. and but they're it's they're very tight. It's very the Tug, Tug McGraw and um, Tim McGraw. Tim McGraw had no idea that Tug McGraw was his father until he had already recorded an album. I yeah. didn't. I didn't know uh, Tug McGraw was Tim McGraw's father. Yes. until just now. Yep. No shit. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite players. Yeah, I, I think. And one of the things we didn't look at because it's Father's Day and not Mother's Day is especially in athletics, the mothers who are athletes, they seem to have a real imprint on their kids, who on their sons in general. I mean, you know, I don't. I don't know of any mother-daughter combinations. I'm sure there are a million that you, know, you can send into us. But, um, but that there are, you know, th- those mothers often play a huge role in terms of what it's like to deal with pressure and what it's like. But the culture of sports is such toxic masculinity and the culture of politics is such toxic capitalism that it's just not built to have nurturing relationships between parents and children. And with that on our father, with that great note on our Father's Day special, <laughs> Uh, we'll be wrapping it up on the Bill Bradley Collective on the talking about the best and worst in politics. But next week, make sure to tune in for our draft results on the worst people in politics. And as always, please like and share our post on Facebook. It helps us grow the audience, helps get more ears on the product. 
And with that, that is the end of us on the Bill Bradley Collective. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Facebook at the Bill Bradley Collective. We'll see you again next week.